Today as promised, we are going to be talking about yoga maya. We spent maybe six weeks discussing maya. I don't think we've discussed every possible nuance, but we discussed all the main points that Prabhupada presented. We read from his letters. Every point that Prabhupada made in his letters about Maya, and we discussed. So then we said on Wednesday we would discuss Yoga Maya, which is the internal aspect of Krishna's internal energy. And Yoga Maya is very interesting because it's not, it's, it's nuanced and varied. Krishna does many things through Yoga Maya. So we're going to read from the Bhagavatam. I've, uh, Got some quotes, things Prabhupada said, and it's a bit philosophical, but uh, we're supposed to be philosophers, so we'll do that. And today, because all the quotes are from the Bhagavatam as opposed to previously, we just were reading from the letters, I will say, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. My voice is low because... Okay, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. I have to repeat what I just said. You may not have heard it. We're going to be reading about Yoga Maya from Srimad Bhagavatam. And uh, as promised on Wednesday, we would discuss Yoga Maya. Yeah. My voice is low because I had the mic somewhere else other than in front of me. Now it's better, right? Maum Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prestaya Bhutale Shirimati Bhakti Vedanta Shamini Tinamane Namaste Sharashwati Deve Gauravani Pacharine Nirvisesa Sanyavari Paschatyadasatarine So today is a special day because I'm wearing the chadar and hat my daughter stole from me. And she didn't wear it today. It's very cold right now. This was the chadar that Krishna Karshani bought. This chadar is so warm, you could go to the Himalayas and use it for a blanket and you'd be hot. So, um, my keyboard is in the other room because we did a program in the other room. And to bring it in here and set it up, it's a little bit of a problem. So, we'll just chant Jai Radha Madhava a cappella. Zeradha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jayaradha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Kupijana Ballava Giribaradhari Kupijana Ballava Giribaradhari Shushodhanandana Brajajana Ranjana Shushodhanandana Brajajana Ranjana Jamuna Tira Banachari Jamuna Tira Banachari Jayaradha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jayaradha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Kupijana Vallava Giribara Dhari 
कुपीजन बल्लावा गिरी बर धारी चुशोधानंदन बजजनरंजना चुशोधानंदन बजजनरंजना चमुना तीरा बनाचारी चमुना तीरा बनाचारी जयराधा माधवा कुंजबिहारी जयराधा माधवा कुंजबिहारी शिलप्रभुपार की जग जग कंठराज सीमाद बागोताम की जने थाई को ऊपर मनंदी हरि हरि बो वन मोमेंट more beautiful just perfect okay <clears throat> so we're going to begin reading from the sima bhagavatam and we're going to start with the 10th canto because in the 10th canto prabhupad gives a little summary a little overview and i think the way our minds work we want everything just to like fit in a box you know this is what maya is mahamaya is this and yogamaya is that and mahamaya fits more into a box than yogamaya yogamaya doesn't fit so well into a box but there's a little summary that that gives a quite a good overview excuse me i sometimes i eat breakfast before a class and sometimes this is my breakfast This is a tea made from different grains. And it has nut butters in it, a nut butter milk. So it kind of keeps me going for an hour and a half. And then I have amino acids. This actually makes my brain work better. Your brain also. In case your brain's not working, this is good for you. Keeps you awake. I don't know why there's no stimulants in it, but it doesn't stimulate you, but it keeps you very awake. And what I've noticed when I travel and I'm tired, sometimes I'll be speaking and I'll forget what I'm saying. The sign of being tired. And I thought I was getting old and losing my mind, and I realized I was just tired. Kind of scary when you can't remember what you just said. These pills <clears throat> keep the mind very awake. So we will test them today to see if I forget anything. What was I just saying? I can't remember that kind of thing. Thank you for your patience. Okay, this is from this is from the tenth canto, first chapter, text twenty-five. Parasha shaktir vividhaiva shuyate. This is from Sritash Vatara Upanishad. In the Vedas, it is said. 
that the potencies of the Supreme Personality of Godhead are called by different names, such as Yogamaya and Mahamaya. So interestingly, you probably know Maya means energy. Maya means many things. One of the meanings of Maya is energy, and one of the meanings of yoga is connection between us and Krishna. So that energy that connects us between us and Krishna, that connects us to Krishna, or brings us closer to Krishna. And so Mahamaya, though not literally, it, it doesn't literally mean, according to me, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, that energy which separates us from Krishna, but that's what it does. And so yoga maya, the purpose of Krishna's yoga maya, which is Krishna's internal energy, it's a is an umbrella figure. Yoga maya is an, also used as an umbrella categorization of Krishna's internal potency. And there are different ways to categorize it, Swarup Shakti and so forth. Yoga maya has particular functions, but sometimes it's also used in a general way, Krishna's internal potency. But how we see Yoga Maya working specifically in Krishna Lila, it's to create whatever illusion is necessary to attach the devotees to Krishna, bring the devotee closer to Krishna. That's generally how it works. But <clears throat> Yoga Maya also works to keep non devotees away from Krishna, to bewilder them about Krishna's personal feature. So it's also a protective device where um, a person may not be in. Um, Prabhupada talks a lot about impersonalists who are transcendental to the modes of nature but they don't understand Krishna so they're not really affected by maya in a gross way mahamaya they're more affected by yoga maya they can't understand Krishna's personal form so Krishna his yoga maya energy it covers him it covers him in a way that the devotees become attached to him and covers him in a way that non-devotees can't understand him so it has multiple functions. So in terms of the non-devotees, yoga maya is used to bewilder them because they're disqualified. It's kind of like an energy that protects Krishna from a connection. So it, it also works to keep people away, even though it's called yoga maya. Interesting. Okay. So we'll continue reading. <clears throat> Ultimately, however, the Lord's potency is one. Exactly as electric potency is one, although it can act both to cool and heat. The Lord's potency acts in both the spiritual material world. So, yoga maya, <clears throat> when it becomes externalized, it's called mahamaya. The external energy, the same energy, internal, external, same energy, heating, cooling. Everything's one energy, and then as the energy expands, different personalities take charge of that energy. So yoga maya, mahamaya, yoga maya, <clears throat> purnamasi, ma mahamaya, durga. In the spiritual world, the Lord's potency works as yoga maya. And in the material world, the same potency works as mahamaya. Exactly as electricity works in both heater and cooler. In the material world, this potency working as mahamaya acts upon the conditioned souls to deprive them more and more of devotional service. It is said, Jaya Samohito Jiva Atmanam Tri Gunatmakam. One seven five. In the material world, the conditioned soul thinks of himself as a product of Triguna, the three modes of material nature. This is the bodily conception of life. Because of associating 
with the three gunas of material potency, everyone identifies himself with his body. Someone is thinking he is a brahmana, someone a kshatriya, someone a vaisha, or shudra. Actually, however, one is neither a brahmana, a kshatriya, a vaisha, nor a shudra. One is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, mamai vangshaha. But because of being covered by the material energy, maha-maya, one identifies himself in these different ways. <clears throat> when the conditioned soul becomes liberated, however, he thinks himself an eternal servant of Krishna, Jivara Shurupoy, Krishnera Nityadash. That's from Madhyalila 2108. When he comes to that position, the same potency acting as Yogamaya increasingly helps him become purified and devote his energy to the service of the Lord. So basically, in general, what Prabhupada is saying, I mean, we can expand upon this and saying, according to your need and desire, you'll fall under the control of a different energy, either Yogamaya or Mahamaya. And if we're battling with Mahamaya, it's a losing battle. And if Yogamaya works on us, like when we're hearing Bhagavatam, when we're in the Dham, when we're in Kirtan, when we're chanting Japa properly, then that energy is just attracting us and bringing us closer to Krishna. So, wouldn't it be nice to be under that energy that brings you to Krishna? That makes life easy. Try to, a lot of times we're trying to be Krishna conscious, but we're allowing ourselves to be influenced by Maya. So obviously it doesn't work. It's a contradiction. So there is an energy which brings you to Krishna. We could say, thank God Krishna created that energy because if there was only Mahamaya, then um, we would be doomed, eternally doomed for turning our back on Krishna. <clears throat> so, I mean, one way to look at this is, one way to look at this is to think, okay, Krishna has created an energy for me, and if I put myself under that energy, that energy is like an escalator. It will just take me up. <clears throat> and Maya is like the down escalator. So if I'm on the down escalator and I want to get back up, it's kind of hard work because I have to work against the escalator. So it's going down and I'm trying to climb up. <clears throat> but if you're in on the up escalator, you may walk or not walk, it brings you up. So intelligent people will naturally think, okay, if Krishna has two energies and I can choose to put myself under either one, it makes sense I should put myself under the energy that automatically brings me up. I mean, kind of simple. As we say in America, that's a no-brainer. You want to be under Maya's energy or Yogamaya's energy? Mahamaya or Yogamaya? Uh, no-brainer, Yogamaya. Okay. <clears throat> so now we understand the function of yoga maya is the general function of yoga maya, although there are many functions. The general function, at least for us as devotees, is to create situations in which we will become more and more attracted to Krishna and create situations for Krishna's pure devotees. They don't even understand that he's God and just uh, they're overridden by affection. So that's how yoga maya works. 
And anytime <clears throat> we're losing taste, and we could say the influence of Mahamaya is there anytime we're gaining taste, realization, etc. We can say the influence of Yoga Maya is working on its internal potency. That's its function. Um, to bestow upon us realization, chit shakti, bliss, ladini shakti, and then um, you could say um, eternity, realization that I'm eternal servant of Krishna. So when all these things are are very strong, that's the influence of the internal potency. And that explains... If you're not clear, it explains or answers the question why sometimes I feel very Krishna conscious and sometimes I don't. It's kind of like why is sometimes this, the sky blue and not? Well, they're clouds. So the clouds of Mahamaya come. and But it was so blue yesterday, everything. But now it's all dark and gray. Yeah. But sometimes our consciousness is like that. Under the influence of Yoga Maya, it's blue and beautiful. And Mahamaya is gray. So, that's the idea. So, it's interesting also, if you look at the program Prabhupada set up in his temples from Mangalartik onwards, the way he explained it, or, or the way we, first, the way we understood it is the five most important processes of bhakti are all done during the morning program. Chanting, <clears throat> kirtan, hearing, deity worship, association, and <clears throat> being in a holy dham, the temple. And then as we discussed before, Prabhupada said, follow this program and then stay engaged in service all day and then Maya will not attack you. But we could also say, follow this program, stay engaged, and Yoga Maya will attack you. So it's not that we don't want to be attacked by Maya, we want to be attacked by Yoga Maya. Prabhu, how are you doing? I'm totally in Maya today. Oh, no, no, no. In yoga, I'm in Yoga Maya. That's good. I've been, I've been attacked by Yoga Maya. I fell into Yoga Maya. I fell into Maya. We can make a t-shirt, right? I fell into Maya, Yoga Maya. As Prabhupada said, you're always in Maya and sometimes you fall into Krishna. Today I fell into Maya, Yoga Maya. So, if you are smart, then... You want to do things which make your spiritual life easy, right? So, putting yourself under the shelter of the nine processes of devotional service and then being engaged every waking hour in devotional service pretty much keeps you under the effects of the internal potency, which then breeds or, or fertilizes, the, fertilizes the soil for faith, for taste, for determination, all the things that you need to become Krishna conscious. And Maya, Mahamaya fertilizes the soil for all the things which are antagonistic to Krishna consciousness. So intelligent devotees, naturally, will keep themselves under the influence of Yoga Maya. It makes sense, right? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. You can hear me or no? It's loud enough? Should be, yes. Maybe that was from before. I'm reading old messages. I, yeah. The mic is set normal now. Um,
<clears throat> We're going to start a whole movement of amino acids. Here it is. Go to Amazon. M-A-P. It stands for something. Pure amino acids. Now you know the secret. Actually, I don't know anything about Krishna. I just have amino acids. And then it's all revealed to me through the amino acids. <clears throat> no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So, well, um, Yogamaya keeping people away, we'll read about that. Yeah. Oh, Nadia is always finding the quotes. That's great. Uh, Jainitai says, everything that distracts us is maya. Sometimes connection with family feels like distraction. How to balance. I don't know your situation, so um, all I can say is All I can say is what Prabhupada said, which I've said many times. Prabhupada tells us that devotional service is akin, likened to a creeper. And until that creeper becomes a tree, which is really ultimately until it becomes prema, you have to take care of it. And more care is needed in the beginning when it's a when it's sprouting and it's a seedling. So, <clears throat> what's interesting about this discussion is that what Prabhupada is saying is that you have to take care of the creeper according to your level of advancement. So it's not generic. So so you can't give a generic answer. How do I deal with work? How do I deal with family? How do I deal with this and that? Because it will depend. Excuse me. It will depend upon your Krishna consciousness. So, in the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada, in the verse Mahatmanas to Mamparta, I think it's the purport of that verse. It's about the Mahatmas. Mahatmanas to Mamparta, Yoga Maya Samambritaha. He said the Mahatmas, the great souls, they they won't put themselves in a situation, any situation which would and negatively impact their realizations of Krishna consciousness. So another way of saying that is a devotee always keeps himself in an environment and within practices that give him realization. Because ultimately, if you think about it, it's the realizations that are keeping us in Krishna consciousness. And the realizations are just really how we're looking at things and how we're thinking. So when you keep yourself in a Krishna consciousness environment, you'll always be having these realizations. You know, I was thinking, I was looking at this person and I was thinking, oh, how hard they're working and they look so unhappy. And You know, your mind just works that way. Like Prabhupada on his morning walks, he's always talking about something Krishna conscious. So, so Prabhupada's saying, a devotee always keeps himself externally in situations which will provide realization. Or, as Prabhupada said it, um, 
his realization will not get his realizations will not get disturbed. His Krishna consciousness will not get disturbed. So now, if I spend a week at your house visiting your parents, and you spend a week at your house visiting your parents, it may affect us differently according to our level of Krishna consciousness. Like you know, when Prabhupada came to America, he first stayed <clears throat> at the Agarwal's home, and they had they were not vegetarian, and so on and so forth. So Prabhupada's a pure devotee. And he's not affected. Not, I mean, affected in the sense that more pleasing to be in Vrindavan, obviously, but not affected <clears throat> by the modes of nature. That Prabhupada was living with some hippies, and he's, you know, there's a curtain between him where Prabhupada sleeps and where he's sleeping with his girlfriend, and Prabhupada can hear them. And so, th- does that affect his consciousness? Yes, it's not pleasing. It's different from being in the Radhadamadar temple, sleeping in his room at the Radhadamadar temple. But how would that affect a Jamil? A Jamil went crazy when he saw a man and a woman embracing. So the answer is it depends on you and how you're affected. And the general principle is live your life in a way that you will always be having realization. Live your life in a way that you're fragile seedling will not wither away. My, I have a plan in my office and I didn't put the heat on one night and it froze outside and I came in the morning. The plant had frozen to death. <clears throat> so the environment was not good and the plant died. So that's the idea. You want to keep yourself in environments that will keep you alive in Krishna consciousness. So, you know, you visit your parents for a day or two or you talk to them regularly and like that. And so, that's necessary. Connection is necessary to one degree or another. But what you're able to do will be different from what I'm able to do, what another devotee is able to do, and what also you feel comfortable doing or you desire to do. Sometimes you know, connection with the family is not unfavorable. Sometimes it's favorable. Sometimes it's unfavorable. Sometimes it's just very mundane, not unfavorable, but just kind of boring or mundane. And so these are decisions we have to make. But I think the principle which we discussed is extremely important. That never put yourself in a situation where you become dull, where your Krishna where the environment now is causing your plant to wither. This um, is a nice analogy, an environment, bhakti environment. What's, what's the environment in which you will grow in Krishna consciousness? What do, you, what do you have to do? Where do you have to be? What kind of environment do you have to create in your life so that you will grow in Krishna consciousness? <clears throat> so once you're doing that, then it answers the question about all these other things, family and friends and work. Because if you're in this healthy situation, your Krishna consciousness is very strong, then immediately when you you understand when you're in an unhealthy situation, that this situation is unhealthy, it's negatively impacting me. And then you think, okay, what can I do, if anything, to make this situation more healthy? And if the answer is you can't do anything, then you're going to have to limit the time you spend, although there may be some obligation. And also, within that obligation, you will have to perhaps limit what you can and can't do. 
I mean, one devotee, one devotee told me they were staying with their in-laws, and their in-laws have the television on all day. So I was thinking, if at a day, just being there for a day, I would, I would feel very contaminated. So I would ask them, can you turn it down or does it have to be on all day? Something like that. I actually stay with the family and their television. I think it was on, you know, it was every waking hour they were up, the television was on for some reason. I think maybe because, um, Maybe the wife felt lonely when the husband was gone and just the television is like somebody's in your house. Now another point is, which is interesting also, we we're talking about creating an environment so your creeper can grow. Well, what's interesting is if you're in environments which are unhealthy and you're not aware of it, how it's impacting the environment for your creeper, that's not good. And I think sometimes that happens. Not sometimes. It definitely happens. Where we allow ourselves to be in environments where we're unhealthy because we don't notice it so much. Or maybe you could say we just like it, that environment. We don't notice it so much how it's impacting us. And when you're not doing well in Krishna consciousness, you tend not to notice the negative impact of things. The more the sheet is clean, the more you notice the spots, the more it's dirty, the less you notice. So, uh, this is important. So that's one area where Prabhupada said, you know, a devotee is always careful to be in environments where he can maintain his realization. But the general principle holds, holds true in many things that Prabhupada said. Do what's favorable, Avoid what's unfavorable, the, f the first two practices of surrender. And so, in order to do that, sometimes it requires not doing things the way we normally used to. And that may hurt some people sometimes because of the limitations that we may put on ourselves in order to maintain our bhakti. So, it's a, you know, sometimes there's a compromise. We can't be ideal. We can't have be in ideal situations always. But when we're not in ideal situations, we don't extend them to the point where we become weak. Just even for a traveling preacher, that they get strange flights and get off schedule and so forth. Not ideal. Regulation is ideal. So it's even it's even an issue for renunciates, not not just for grihastas who are working and have family ties and so on. But the point is that one would not extensively put themselves in compromised positions where they become weak. It may be temporary, temporary, but because they're good devotees and normally they maintain their creeper strongly, then then a little cold weather or a little rain or something is not going to hurt the plant. But continuous cold weather and rain would. So that's uh, another way of looking at it. <clears throat> So, um, yeah, this is a very important principle of bhakti. And, I mean, a jainitai, if you compare it to health, then 
sometimes you feel weak or you have pain in your body or, or something is wrong with your digestion. Something's not normal and that's a sign that probably I should see a doctor or it's a sign to reflect. What am I doing? What may I be doing that's causing this? Is there anything I can do to to stop? Is there anything that's aggravating this problem that I'm doing? So you reflect. So the same thing spiritually. If I'm feeling weak, don't just go on, but reflect. Am I doing something that's making it hard on myself? And I think a lot of times we live a life that makes it hard to be Krishna conscious, which we're just working against ourselves. And then, you know, if you ever say things like it's really hard to be Krishna conscious, it may be that you're just working against yourself. You're making it hard on yourself. It's possible. You know, so if you ever catch yourself saying, oh, it's so hard to be Krishna conscious, that should be a red flag. And I think we all realize that if we attend an amazing festival, an amazing kirtan, an amazing class, if we chant really good rounds, we never say, we never think, we never have the realization it's it's difficult to become Krishna conscious. We're just very blissful. We're getting a lot of realization, a lot of energy and so forth. It's in those times when we're not practicing well that we might say it's really difficult to become Krishna conscious because now the energy has shifted. You've put yourself under Maya's control. Yeah. So if you're under Maya's control, you will think it's difficult to be Krishna conscious because Maya's job is to make it difficult to be Krishna conscious. But if we're under the spiritual energy by being nicely engaged in Krishna consciousness, you'll just feel it's natural to be Krishna conscious. You won't feel this battle, this duality in your life. <clears throat> so that's something to consider. Don't make it hard on yourself. And I think in the name of enjoyment or comfort, we make it hard on ourselves. And then we're wondering, why is it so hard to be Krishna conscious? Well, look at your life. Maybe that would answer the question. Okay, maybe not always. Maybe we're just conditioned souls struggling. Okay, I don't want to deny that. But I think it's very important when you say it's difficult to be Krishna conscious. Well, let's go down your schedule, see what you're doing. Well, I get up about 8.30 in the morning and then I go on Facebook for like six hours and then, you know, while I'm eating, looking at Facebook, I'm eating sweets during those six hours, yeah. Why is it so hard to be Krishna conscious? I just don't understand, you know, it's so difficult. Yeah, so we don't want to be that foolish. Prabhu, when was the last time you chanted good rounds? Let me see. Let me get my calendar out here. Hmm. I think it was like uh, it was October 13th, uh, 1986. Yeah, that was the last time. Uh, you've been having trouble in Krishna consciousness? Yeah, ever since that, uh, the day after that, I've been having trouble. Okay, I think... I think we discovered why. It only took us like 34 years to figure it out. But we figured it out. Yeah. So that's part of the problem. Sometimes the problem is obvious and we're scratching our head. I wonder why I'm not Krishna conscious. Oh, you, Prabhu, when was the last time you actually chanted one good mantra? Mm, I can't remember that. You know. When was the last time you went to Mongol Arctic? Oh, I think that was in the last yuga. So, yeah, okay. So... 
Now, that would make sense that you're not inspired. Um, Prabhu, when was the last time you didn't criticize a devotee? Mm, let me think, it was about four seconds ago, yeah. Okay, that might explain why you're not like so inspired in Krishna consciousness. So you just have to <laughs> to look. You know, we have to look at what we're doing instead of complaining, Maya is so strong, I'm so weak. Maya is so strong, I'm so weak. You know, it's like a mantra. You're going back and forth with this mantra. Maya is so strong, I'm so weak. Maya is so strong, I'm so weak. Wait a minute. Just look at what you're doing. That might explain something. So, yeah. Hare Krishna. You understand what I'm saying. Um, so Nadia says, what should we do if we constantly live in a very unhealthy, I guess, environment for our spiritual advancement? You should get out of Siberia, ASAP. But we have no chance to leave this situation because it's our responsibility to be here. Mm. Marry a rich man from America. When we can't hide anywhere from this negativity, negative impact, but we have to tolerate it as it's our duty. You answered your question. To help and support people who are totally dependent on you. Yeah, you just answered your question. Tolerate. So then your question is really how to tolerate. And I will ask you to answer that question, Nadia. Nadia answered her own question. We have to be tolerant. And I think a good question to ask ourselves, not just Nadia, but everyone, if I'm in an environment which is not like, like what I feel like the best environment, then we ask ourselves the question, well, how can I be Krishna conscious in this environment? So it may require some adjusting because... In a very good environment, I just, you know, it's very straightforward. I do this, this, and this, and everything is fine. But if the environment's not great, then I have to ask myself, okay, in this not-so-great environment, how am I going to be Krishna conscious? Because this is going to take a little it's a little juggling. Like, like you want to build something, but you don't have the exact right materials, or maybe you don't have the exact right tools, and you think, okay, how are we going to build this with this these materials? Because... We don't have all the materials we need, and so you think, okay, we'll use this for this, this for this, we'll chop this off here, or this and that. And so it's something like that. You have to, you know, figure out how am I going to construct my Krishna consciousness with the Siberian building materials that I have or don't have. You see, the thing is, if you want to be Krishna conscious, you'll figure out how to do it somehow or other, no matter what the situation. Just as if you want anything, you figure out how to do it, if you want it badly enough. So I think that's important. If you want Krishna consciousness badly enough, you'll figure it out. And until that rich man from America comes and puts you on his private jet out of Siberia and flies you into his mansion in Hollywood, you will have to figure, you'll have to answer this question. How can I do this in this situation? I mean, there aren't really, you know, quote-unquote ideal situations for being Krishna conscious. Obviously, there are better situations. But you can be in an ideal situation and, and be in Maya. That's also possible. 
And you can be in a situation that's not quote-unquote ideal and be very Krishna conscious. So I think that's important to consider. So ask yourself, how can I tolerate and how can I adjust to this situation? And of course, we're talking about internal adjustments. And there may be some external adjustments you can make, of course. But internal adjustments, what, what can I do internally to take advantage of this? You know, the other last week I was getting up very early and I was studying and reading a lot of things that I don't normally get time to read. And I thought, this is this is amazing, you know? Just, you know, get up every day like 3, 3.30, 2.30, 3.30, and, and for a few hours before you have to start chanting, you read for two or three hours, depending on what time you have to go to work. Or and if you don't, if you don't really have to go to work or you work at home, you could be reading till like seven a.m. and writing and studying or or whatever it is that inspires you in Krishna consciousness, doing you know the things you never get time to do. So some little thing like that. Nadia, you know, even in Siberia, in the God forsaken country Siberia is but if you were doing something like that where you were like very absorbed in something that's really inspiring then even in Siberia you would be ecstatic so I'm not saying that necessarily you can get up that early or you'd want to read for four hours or whatever but but you get the point that like I think okay I'm, I'm, I'm in this situation it's not so Krishna well what can I do well maybe I'll chant 32 rounds Maybe I'll, you know, go out in the snow and knock on doors an hour a day just to get inspired and meet a few people and present Krishna consciousness to them. Or I'll go shop to shop where it's warm. Or you can go inside stores like I used to do and distribute books. And when people would say, did the store allow you to come in and do this? I'd say, of course not. You think they'd allow me to do this? And the people would laugh and they, like, they didn't know to, whether to believe me or not. Of course they wouldn't let me. Are you kidding? No way. They didn't let me. You think they'd let me do this? No way. Here, no, read this book. You'll really like it. So, you know, you think you think of something. You know, what do I really like to do? What really inspires me? And you do it. You keep yourself alive, even in Siberia. And you can write a book with realizations, and it'll be called Alive in Siberia. Staying alive and well in Siberia. That's Nadia's new book. We're looking forward to it with all your realizations on how to stay inspired in Siberia. Hare Krishna. I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for. <clears throat> but until that rich guy comes in the private jet, you will have some work to do. So, Jyotirmai says, is there the case that we make some space for Mahamaya in order to allow our spiritual life to become better in the future? Like, concentrate for a while a lot on your job or do a lot of effort to improve your physical condition. Give up more space or relationship to put things in order. So, in sometime every day, life is more smooth, of course. Job is always... Um, you can do that, but I wouldn't call it Maya. Because anything you do which helps your Krishna consciousness cannot be Maya. Now, if you do all those things and you end up uninspired and 
um, more materially attached to things and so forth, then it's maya. <clears throat> because maya is not, you can't categorize maya just as this is maya, this activity, obviously, some activities. But to say job is maya or exercise is maya, or like, well, what are you thinking when you exercise? Why are you exercising? I'm thinking I'll get nice and thin and I'll be sexy. Okay, that's Maya. But if I think, well, you know, I need to be healthy, I need to maintain the body, and when I'm healthy, I everything's better, my service is better, my mind works better. Okay, so why are you doing it? So I can oil the machine that's serving Krishna. So that's not Maya. You know, Bhagavatam says, Grihasta life. Married life, not grievous. Married life is a dark, deep well. That's married life for non-devotees. They're referring to non-devotees. So married life in and of itself is not a dark, deep well or not a dark, deep well. It depends how you do it, why you do it. So that's the answer to your question. None of what you said is maya unless it's maya. That was a profound statement. I will say it again. None of that is Maya unless it is. Hmm. Should that be the name of this class? It's not Maya unless it is Maya. <laughs> Though it all depends on you. And, and as I said, some things categorically are Maya. It doesn't depend on you or not. It's just Maya. It's sinful. Okay. But the things you described are not sinful. They just are things which can or cannot be mine, depending on how they're used. So, um, the bottom line is, whatever you have to do to be Krishna conscious, that's within, that's not outside the principles of Krishna consciousness, whatever you do that you can use for Krishna that helps you, it's, it can't be Maya, because Maya means where Krishna isn't. So, if Krishna is in your consciousness and you're thinking, okay, I have to work to maintain myself and... I'll be a good example of a devotee at work and I'll be kind to people and I'll treat them with respect and so forth. Then, that's not Maya. So Sydney says, I've noticed that lately I get irritable when I cannot be in devotional time with Krishna. How do I better stay with Krishna? No matter what I'm having to do, or whatever noise may be going on, I can tell when I'm with him and when I'm not. In a sense, it's a good sign. You mean like like situations which are not Krishna conscious disturb you? Is that what you're saying? That's a both a good sign and a bad sign. In when you're more, when you're you want to be in a Krishna conscious environment, and yeah, like like we're driving down the street and we go by McDonald's and you can smell some meat. It's like, yeah, that should disturb you. If it doesn't disturb you, maybe there's something wrong with you. So some things should disturb us uh, because we're cultivating at least sattva guna and when we come in contact with tamaguna, it's just disturbing. So that, in a sense, is a good sign. But still, we have to be tolerant. So I think you were looking for the answer, how can I tolerate these things? And 
the more you're Krishna conscious naturally, the less you'll be bothered by things. Even the less you'll be bothered by the things that bother you. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. And I said it. The less you will be bothered by the things that bother you. Like this whole world was a botheration for Prabhupada because it was just a world of people suffering. And everywhere he looked, he saw people suffering and he's so compassionate. It was just like painful. But at the same time, he tolerates what bothers him. And, you know, in a sense, everything is a botheration, you know. A, a pure devotee who's who's come to this world to preach Krishna consciousness, having the body is a botheration. Everything is a botheration. So, but, you know, it's, it's natural that it, you know, because... Our lives, our taste is different. So naturally, these things are disturbing. But then again, we're not disturbed. That's the maturity of Krishna consciousness. And why are we not disturbed? Because in our life, we have so much Krishna consciousness that it fills us up so much that we're not disturbed. So you have to fill yourself up. Fill yourself up more. And then you'll be disturbed, but you'll not be disturbed by what disturbs you, if that makes sense. Did that make sense? Are you all scratching your head? Not be disturbed by what? Yeah, that makes sense. It's pretty clear, right? Pills are still working. I said something that makes sense, even though it doesn't sound like it. Uh, when was the last time you went to Mangalarji? Yeah, it was the last yuga. Yeah. Well, I think it was when I was in Vrindavan. And even in Vrindavan, people don't go every day. So Nadi is blessed to be happy in Siberia until the private jet comes to take her to the mansion in America. Hopefully the mansion's in Alachua. You'll like it here. <clears throat> okay. So the answer to Nadi is, if you can't come to Alachua, then just do everything I said. I've never done book distribution in a store. Well, a big department store can do it in big department stores because it takes them a while for them to figure out what you're doing. Of course, if you do it right in front of a counter where a person's got nothing to do but look at you, then, yeah. But you can go store to store also, just little shops, show them books. Hmm. Okay, so now we can read some more. Philosophy, I know some of you don't. We'll get bored with philosophy, but we are philosophers, aren't we? Okay, where's my document? There it is. Right where I left. My document is right where I left it. Okay, so that was from the 10th canto. We jumped ahead because that was kind of a summary. Um. I just want to read the first line or two to remind us. In the Vedas, it is said that the potencies of the Supreme Personality of Godhead are called by different names, such as Yogamaya and Mahamaya. Ultimately, however, the Lord's potency is one, exactly as the electric potency is one, although it can act to cool and heat. So it's one energy. From Krishna's perspective, everything is just one energy. From our perspective, you know, we stand on the other 
behind the clouds, so it looks like it's a cloudy day, but above the clouds is the sun. So from Krishna's point, it's all light, it's one energy, but it's different functions. So, if I were you, I would put myself under yoga maya. It's much better and easier. Okay, so this is from the second canto, fifth chapter, text 24. Nadia, if you want to bring it up. 2524. The reason is, this is coming up in the middle of a purport, so I'm not sure what the reference is. Maybe we will understand by reading. The reason is that the Lord reserves the right of not exposing, I guess it's like, why doesn't everyone understand Krishna? I mean, he's just standing there. Why would anyone misunderstand? Just like, you know, you're standing in front of me. There's Nadia. I see you. This is what you look like. This is, you know, you're talking to me. Everything is like, so now I stand in front of Krishna and it's like, I completely misunderstand. I don't understand who he is. Nadia, yeah, she's she's a woman this age from this country, this is her occupation, these are her skills, it's all clear. Krishna stands in front of you and is like, <laughs> ah, he's got this little ring around him called Yoga Maya, and everyone who's in Mahamaya can't pierce that Yoga Maya ring, so they have no idea who he is. And it's funny, because if you look at the commentaries on Bhagavad Gita, then you, you really understand this yoga maya potency of how Krishna bewilders people because they have no idea who Krishna is. Oh, Krishna is the unborn. With, you know, it's like, what? The unborn within you, the eternal, you know, it's not actually a person. It's like, what are you talking about? Krishna is like, spoke the Bhagavad Gita. He is a person. No, when he says surrender to me, it means surrender to the eternal unborn. No, that's not what he said. Hello, anybody home? He did not say that. So this Yoga Maya is like, you know, 600 versions of the Bhagavad Gita and 600 misunderstandings of who Krishna is, even though Krishna is stating who he is. That's Yoga Maya. Amazing. It's amazing. It's incredible. Krishna is amazing. You can't, you know, he's right in front of you and he's like bewilders you. So, let's read it again. The reason is the Lord reserves the right of not exposing himself to the non-devotee, who even after a thorough study of literature like Bhagavad Gita remains an impersonalist simply by obstinacy. This obstinacy is due to the action of yoga maya, a personal energy of the Lord that acts like an aide-de-camp by covering the vision of the obstinate impersonalist, kind of like a bouncer, basically. What is Yoga Maya, Prabhu? It's Krishna's bouncer to keep the impersonalist away. Who will never understand Krishna? They don't. Why? Because they don't want to. Krishna says, "You don't want to? Okay, I'll fool you into thinking that what you think about me is true when it isn't." Just like one of the, I think one of the interesting things that Krishna did, amongst many interesting things, is he left what seemed to be a material body when he died. So all those atheists and and Maya bodies and so forth, 
could say, see, I told you so. He's just an ordinary person. He's just assuming this form temporarily, and, you know, merged back into Brahman, or he's just an ordinary person, you know. He's not God. Look at there's his body. He got shot in the foot by a hunter and he died. I don't know if the average person would die being shot in the foot with an arrow. I don't think. But in any case, you would think, Krishna, why would you do that? And Krishna says, because that's how they want to see me and I'm reciprocating. So, okay. You want to see me like that? Okay. I'll do it for you. That's what you want. You want Maya? I'll give it to you. You want to think I'm material? You got it. I'll give it to you. What do you want? I'll give it to you. You want to be God? Okay. Here's a body. Go for it. And, you know, if you want to forget me, I'll help you. So, works for you, works against you. If you want Krishna, you get him. If you don't, you get something else. It's just the way it is, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Such a bewildered human being is described as mudha or grossly ignorant because he is unable to understand the transcendental form of the Lord as being unborn and unchangeable. If it were true that the Lord takes a form of material shape from his original impersonal feature, then that would mean he takes birth and is changeable from impersonal to personal. But he is not changeable. Philosophical, now we've got some philosophy here. Philosophically illogical. Krishna is unchangeable. So how did he change from, how did he manifest a personal form from impersonal if he's unchangeable? He should always be unpersonal. If he's impersonal, he should always be impersonal because he's unchangeable. And that would mean, if it were true that the Lord takes a form of material shape from his original impersonal feature, then that would mean he takes birth and is changeable from impersonal to personal. But he is not changeable, nor does he ever take a new birth like a conditioned soul. The conditioned soul may take a form birth after birth due to his conditional existence in matter. But the self-centered impersonalist, by their gross ignorance, accept the Lord as one of them because of self-centered egoism, even after so-called advancement of knowledge in the Vedanta. So this is so interesting because what Prabhupada's saying is like everything is explained clearly in the Vedas and it's completely unclear to them. Isn't that interesting? Like something is clear, but when you don't want to clearly understand it, even though it's clear, you clearly misunderstand it. Unusual. Well, maybe not unusual. Maybe that's just normal psychology. So Krishna says, it's like this, and they say, no, it's like that. No, but Krishna says it's like this. No, it's not really what he means. He means that. You know, you see that in politics. You know, it's like you just, you you support your party even when they say ridiculous things that make no sense and you can't in any way verify them with reality. Well, that's because you want to see that reality that way, so you believe it. 
okay, you know, I want I want to be God. So anything in the Shastra that says I'm not God and Krishna is God doesn't work for me. So I'm just I'm just like I don't I don't see it. I don't understand it that way. It may be clear to you. Krishna may be clearly explaining his position. I don't understand it. I don't see it that way. That's that's how it works. And Krishna's okay with that. That's what they want. That's what they get. So the question is, ladies and gentlemen, what do you want? Because whatever you want, that's what you'll get. Okay. And Prabhupada calls the impersonalist self-centered. Why? Because they want liberation and ultimately they want to be Krishna. It's not like they're they're out to change the world. No, they're out to become God. And but it's in the garb of a sadhu. The Lord being situated in the heart of every individual living entity knows very well the tendency of such conditioned souls in terms of past, present, and future. But the bewildered conditioned soul hardly could know him in his eternal form. So Krishna knows us. We can't know him without bhakti. By the will of the Lord, therefore, the impersonalist, even after knowing the Brahman and Paramatma features of the Lord, remains ignorant of his eternal personal feature as ever-existent Narayana, transcendental to all material creation. That is sad, sad news for the world. That even though Krishna appears either to you or appears through Shastra, explains his position, demonstrates his position, you don't understand it. You, you understand it in contrary ways contradictory ways. And ultimately you conclude that Krishna is impersonal, which is like, I don't know if you'd want to marry a light, but I wouldn't. Be, I don't know. If I'd want to spend the rest of my life living with a light, maybe if I don't like people, that might work. But if you're a bit social, you'd probably rather marry a person than a light. No, no, Prabhu, I've been burnt out by people. I just want to marry a light. Okay, I understand. You, know, you, had, you had some bad relationship in the past. I understand that. But really, you want to marry a light? Yeah, with a light, no relationship issues. Just, you know. And the light and I can become one, and the light pervades everything, and I can feel very big, like I'm everywhere. And Yeah, so that's impersonalism. Okay, that's what you want. Yoga Maya. This yoga maya energy that's attracting Krishna's devotees into loving exchanges with him, that yoga maya energy is bewildering the impersonalist. Same energy, different function. Isn't that interesting? Because you might think, well, isn't that just Mahamaya? Well, yoga maya has different functions. Some of them seem to emulate Mahamaya, but it's the same energy, just acting in different ways. So that that energy can act any way that Krishna wants it to act. And so that's one of the ways. And so in the Bhagavad Gita, in the seventh chapter, Krishna says, Yoga Maya Samanvita, Naham Prakasha Sarvasya. I'm not manifest to everyone. Naham Prakasha Sarvasya, Yoga Maya Samanvita. I am covered by my Yoga Maya. Murho yam nabhi and the fools can't understand me. 
whom above them and transcendental, paramabhyam. So Krishna is saying, you know, you would think, well, isn't Krishna covered by Maya? And Krishna is saying, no, he uses yoga Maya to cover himself, and in Leela he covers himself so they don't know he's God, but that helps. And for these people, ordinary people, he covers himself so they don't know he's God because they don't want to know. They don't want to. They want to believe their God or there's some other God. So the, the reason is different. The function the function is similar, but it produces different results. So, naham prakasha. I am not manifest sarvatra to everyone. Yoga maya samanvita. I cover them. They're covered by my yoga maya potency. Mudho yam nabhijananti. And the fools do not know, know me. Mudho yam nabhijananti. Um, something simply in paramavyam. Mudho yam nabhijananti na... Natesham, I forget. See, the pills didn't work. That shloka was memorized by me in like 1972. You pills, I want my money back. I can't remember the last line to a verse I remembered 48 years ago. Naham Pakashasarvasya, Yoga Maya Samam Vita, Murho Yam Nabijananti, Mam Abhya Paramabhya, Mam Abhyam Nadia, pull the verse up. Mam mam abhya param abhyam is that it? Naham prakasha sarvasya yoga maya samanvitaha mudho yam nabhijananti mam close to that param abhyam yeah I'm, but param abhyam means above them they can't under whom above them and transcendental yeah mam abhya param abhyam something like that um, interesting isn't it? That energy which Krishna is using to bewilder his devotees into loving him, he's using it to bewilder ordinary people into having no idea. And they haven't got a clue who Krishna is. Hmm. Excuse me, sir, would you be open to the reality? Would you be open for the next minute to the reality? The gods, a cowherd boy who plays a flute and he's blue. And he's 9-11 calling up the mental hospital like, and the ambulance comes and takes us away. Yeah, that's Yoga Maya Samanvita. He was covered by Yoga Maya in a big way. He couldn't understand. Of course, Prabhupada never said that in the beginning. He just talked about God as in terms of what we understand, the creator, the maintainer, the destroyer, the controller. But these other intimate, that's not going to be understood, Bhaktiya Mama Bijananti, Krishna says, you can't understand without bhakti. We were we were discussing in this seminar I was doing for people in London, people who are newer to Krishna consciousness, <clears throat> who had never heard about it. This phenomena where with material knowledge, to understand something material, you don't require serving your teacher. That's not like a necessity. You basically serve your textbook and study. Study, 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 pay attention in class. But service to your teacher is not really going to help you. If you don't know one and one is two and you bake a cake for your teacher, it probably won't help you understand one and one is two. But if you if you don't understand something spiritually and you do devotional service, you'll eventually understand it. Like Orca Shortas Babaji was illiterate, but he, he could express Siddhanta as well as anybody. So... That's that factors in 
to the reality of spiritual knowledge. It's not just information that you can understand. Because the information in Gita, it's there for everybody to understand. But the impersonalist Yoga Maya Samanvita, they don't understand. And then you do bhakti and then you understand it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because material knowledge doesn't work that way. Like you have to, you have to serve. To one, you have to serve your teacher. Yeah. Tadbidi pranipatena paripashnena sevaya. You want a guru? Do service. Because if you serve, you'll understand what he's teaching. If you don't serve, you won't understand. Interesting, right? You cannot understand this unless you serve your teacher. And Prabhupada used to say, yeah, you please the spiritual master, by his mercy, everything. Everything comes. So, Prabhupada did that. We're trying to do that for Prabhupada. Spread his movement. Distribute his books. Do what he wants us to do. Then we get some mercy, and then we can understand Krishna consciousness. Okay, let's see if you have anything to say about that. Okay. Okay, Nadia, you've just been invited to Alachua. Oh, you've been invited to come to Mexico. Well, you have two invitations. Wow. Now Christie's coming also. Oh, my God. Sounds like a movement starting, a new movement in Alachua. Okay, so we have a question. Ananda, the husband of Krishna consciousness. One time Prabhupada said that Krishna consciousness is, is not only religion. Krishna consciousness activity contains everything like economy, politics, military, music, philosophy, medicine. The question is how to be Krishna conscious and be politics. Politics is very dangerous. Well, if you're a chatri, it's not a problem. You... Um, Practically how to do it, I couldn't say because I I think about it also in the current environment. Um, how would you do it? Um, people would shoot you because you'd close all the slaughterhouses. <clears throat> you'd end, you would, you would restrict consumption of meat, illicit sex, intoxication, gambling. It would be restricted or completely stopped. They would shoot you. There would be protests in the streets. You know, people like have a hard time restricting themselves. But uh, another point is that like if we're if we're asking the question how could I be Krishna conscious doing politics or how could I be Krishna conscious doing this or that if you're a chatri it's not a problem. If it's a chatri it's just natural. It will be easy to think of Krishna. Like our Krishna said Arjuna fight and think of me and you could think how can you think of Krishna while you're fighting? Um, well, you know what they say in in the trenches. I think they call them foxholes. There's no you don't find any atheists during war. So actually, you know, being in battle probably a good place to think of Krishna. If you're a politician, there's so many problems. You pray to Krishna. We had a president. Like every, I think every morning when he met with his cabinet, they would pray for guidance. He was religious. So you can be Krishna conscious anywhere. But specifically, if if it's your varna, then it's naturally, it's just 
conducive in so many ways for your Krishna consciousness. So I don't know if that's what you were asking. If you're asking specifically how we would do it, uh, I've pondered it deeply, and I've come to the conclusion that I, um, it would be a tremendous challenge. Because, because it could only work if the population voted for you because they wanted a Krishna conscious leader who was going to create a Krishna conscious environment. So then gradually you would do things and you would test the waters to see the reactions of people. Kind of get a feel for it. But, you know, like Tulsi Gabbard, she wasn't presenting a Krishna conscious agenda, but I think she was presenting something more sattvic. And most people couldn't relate to it because they just want a politician that is going to help them make more money, have a good economy, good jobs, and like that. So, you know, people are interested in sense gratification. So whatever leader they think can give the most sense gratification, that's who they vote for. So, you know, to reform that system, you have to have a population that, that understands it. And there were a few people that really appreciated Tulsi Gabbard, but most people just, I don't know, they were afraid of her. So I saw from that that, you know, in politics, I'm not sure that everybody's that interested in solving problems, at least solving them in a certain way. They might be more interested in keeping status quo. You know, it's a complicated thing. You get in America, you, you know, politicians get all this money and donations to run their campaigns, and then they feel obliged to pass legislation to, to protect the people who gave them money. So it's, you know, it's not the way politics is supposed to be. So <clears throat> unless the world has changes so much that people are looking for a God-conscious solution and willing to take it, it would be difficult, no doubt, to do much. Hmm. Mahadanaba in the Bhagavatam, he was versed in scripture, always staying with demons. A lot of um a lot of Asuras are well versed in scripture. They study it when school. So they know the scripture. You know, they know the moral aspects of it, they know what is virtue, but they just don't believe in Krishna. Interesting combo. Now we kind of have the opposite. People believe in God and they have all demoniac qualities. In in those days, a lot of the demons had some quite good qualities, you know. So you can be an atheist and have good qualities, quote unquote. But because the good qualities aren't used in Krishna service, they're not really good. So many zeros. But in and of themselves, if you want to analyze it, intelligent, Ravana was a good manager, good musician, like that. You know, Anuradha says. Jiveshwara Nitananda Das. Oh. Welcome, Jiveshwara Nitananda Das. How Krishna uses the word Yoga Maya for non devotee in this connection that Mahamaya covers non devotees. Yeah. It's because it's covering him personally. It's, it's Yoga Maya. Um, yoga Maya energy is uh, it's bewildering both to devotees and non devotees about Krishna's position. 
So just like, you know, Krishna would die. No, but he can't, we can't say that. He would just, okay, figuratively, Krishna would die if Mother Yasoda ever found out that he was God. He would die. He just, like, he couldn't live, right? <clears throat> so Yoga Maya knows that. And Yoga Maya makes sure that Mother Yasoda will never know that Krishna is God. And then, then in the Leela, where Krishna was accused of eating dirt, Mother Yasoda looked in his mouth. And when she looked in his mouth, she saw the universe. It's like, okay. And Yogamaya says, hmm, we have a problem here. She just saw in her son's mouth the universe, which means that he qualifies for God status. And Bhagavatam says at that moment, Yogamaya, I don't know if Yogamaya was sleeping or for part of the Leela, this needed to happen. Like Yogamaya just had to remove this illusion. So, so, the world could see that Krishna is God, but he's using this leela. So Krishna is showing that I'm God. Look at the universe is in my mouth. You, what else can I show you? You know, if you don't believe this, then what can I do? So he's really doing that to show the universe, but it was also like a trick. You know, look in my mouth. Yeah, I did eat dirt. The whole universe of dirt is in my mouth, or universes. And then Yogamaya is thinking, okay, that was the leela. But now we have a problem. Mother Yasoda just is now realized that Krishna is God. And so Yogamaya thinks, okay, we, we can't allow this. So then <clears throat> she comes and covers Yasoda, and Yasoda forgets everything that happened. And then that whole Leela was completely gone out of Yasoda's mind. If you ask Yasoda, you remember that time you saw the whole universe in Krishna's mouth and she'll say, what are you talking about? I never saw the universe in Krishna's mouth. No, 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 it's right there, you know, it's like right there in the Bhagavatam, you know. You you, you looked in Krishna's mouth, you saw all the universes because he was being accused of eating dirt and he wanted to, to play fun on you and show the world that he's gone. That didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. So Purnamasi covered that because if she would have remembered that, it would have destroyed her relationship because she just thinks Krishna's her son. That's the way he wants it. So in that sense, Yogamaya covers the devotee. But Yogamaya covers the impersonalist. So they have a, a misconception, but it doesn't help them. But so Yogamaya is Krishna's just she. She she's a person, Purnamasi. So she's working things out so that the devotees get closer to Krishna and the non devotees don't. The non devotees don't ruin the party, basically. They ruin their own party, but not his. <clears throat> so let's just, you know, meditate on that for a while and see if that makes sense. Okay. We have seven minutes. We can read something else. <clears throat> So I have everything on my computer, so when I'm reading, I don't see your questions. So I will read I will read the next one, and then we'll take some questions. Well, I think this next one answers. Pardon Ananda, it answers. This is from 2.726. In the Bhagavad Gita 7.25, it is said by the Lord, Naham Prakasha. <clears throat> Nadia, did you get that whole verse? 
Did you put that up? I don't think you did. 725, can you put it up? Let's see if I remember the last line. I don't think, I'm going back to see if you put it up. Mm, if you can put it up. 725, Mam that's what I think the last line is. Mam Abhyaparamabhyam. <clears throat> Do you know that I memorized it? That I memorized the um, seventh chapter of the Gita while I was driving down a deserted highway for eight hours. I had the book on the steering wheel, and I was just there was like one car. You know, you'd see a car here and there. Yo, naham prakashasarvasya yoga maya samanbita muro yam nabijananti. Loko mam ajamavyam. Oh, I was really off. Well, I need a refund of my pills. That didn't work. Loko yam yoko. Loko mam ajamavyam. I have to dust off my shlokas. They're getting rusty. Loko mam ajamavyam. The whole world. Uh, the whole world doesn't know me. Whom above them and transcendental. Yeah. So, okay. So now let's read this. And I think this further answers your question, Pardon Ananda. Bhagavad Gita is said by the Lord Naham Prakashasarvasha Yogamaya Samambhataha. In other words, he reserves the right of not being exposed to anyone and everyone. So how he wants to cover himself is either going to help the devotee or keep away the non-devotee or satisfy the non-devotee by keeping them in the illusion that they desire to be in. Only the bona fide devotees could know him by his specific symptoms, and out of many, many such symptoms, one symptom is mentioned here in this verse, that the Lord is Sita Krishna Keshaha. One who is observed always with beautiful black hair. Both Krishna and Lord Baladev have such hairs on their heads. And thus, even in advanced age, they appeared like young boys 16 years old. That is the particular symptom of the personality of Godhead. In Brahma Samhita, it is said that although he is the oldest personality among all living entities, he always looks like a new, youthful boy. That is the characteristic of a spiritual body. The material body is symptomized by birth, death, old age, and diseases. But the spiritual body, oh, we say birth, old age, birth, birth, disease, birth, death, old age, and disease. Here, Prophet saying birth, death, old age, old age, and diseases, because it's not just one. So we have to rephrase it when we say, in the material world, there's birth, old age, diseases, and death. One birth, one old age, many diseases, and one death. Yeah. But the spiritual body is conspicuous by the absence of those symptoms. Living entities <clears throat> who reside in the Vaikuntha Lokas in eternal life and bliss have the same type of spiritual body without being affected by any signs of old age. It is described in the sixth canto that the party of the Vishnu Dutas who came to deliver a Jamil from the clutches of the party of the Yamadutas appeared like youthful boys. Corroborating the description in this verse, it is ascertained thus that the spiritual bodies in Vaikuntha Lokas, either of the Lord or of other inhabitants, are completely distinct from the material bodies of this world. Therefore, when the Lord descends from that world to this world, he descends in his spiritual body of Atma Maya, or internal potency, 
without any touch of bahiranga maya or external material energy. The allegation that the impersonal Brahman appears in this material world by accepting a material body is quite absurd. Therefore, the Lord, when he comes here, has not a material body, but a spiritual body. The impersonal Brahma Jyoti is only the glaring effulgence of the Lord. And there is no difference in quality between the body of the Lord and the impersonal ray of the Lord, called Brahma Jyoti. That's from 2.7.26. You know, um, I told this story before. It's quite funny. Hoysari was reading, either in Bhagavatam class or just reading, a purport, either in CC or Bhagavatam, and the purport had nothing to do with the verse. The purport was smashing the Mayavadis and personalists. This, that, they're wrong in this way, they're wrong in that way, they're foolish in this way, they misunderstand this, they're envious in this way. Smash, 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 smash. And so he asked Prabhupada, he said, Prabhupada, it looks like this purport was misplaced under this verse because this purport is not talking about anything in the verse. Then he reads it to Prabhupada and Prabhupada said, it was, it was a verse smashing the Mayavadis and Prabhupada said, you're right. That's not the right purport for that verse. <clears throat> and it wasn't a purport for any other verse. So what did Prabhupada mean? He meant, I I couldn't help myself. I just you know I always I always take every opportunity to expose the impersonalist nonsense. So he said, okay, you can take that purport out. It was just Prabhupada and his bhava to defend Krishna in his personal form to expose the ignorance of the Mayavadis, who not only are ignorant but they're actually offensive to Krishna. So out of love for Krishna, Prabhupada's defending Krishna. So he said. I couldn't help myself, you know, it was just every opportunity that I have to expose them, I will do it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So that's what we're seeing here. So, now it is 9.30, and uh, it's time to say goodbye. We have lots of things going on this weekend, but, oh, <clears throat> Now I can tell you. Tonight we have a Japa class for children. Seven o'clock my time. But you know the interesting thing about my Japa classes for children, they're teaching the same thing I teach adults and just explaining it, maybe a little more simply, but it's the same thing. So if you're awake at that time and you want to attend, you're invited. All this should be advertised somewhere, my website, my Facebook, if <clears throat> my humble administration is doing their job properly, you should be able to find it. Ultimately on the website, which is the easiest place to find it, I would think, all in one spot. Okay, so, we have job of the day at 11, which is an hour and a half. And then tomorrow, 
class. Well, this is a private class, but we have the class in the evening on the Gita, which is interesting if you're awake, even though it's in Chinese. As you know, I don't speak Chinese, so the class is, even if we say the class is in Chinese, it's actually in English, obviously. So um, we're having some interesting discussions on the Gita that uh, might be of use to you. We're having another class, but generally this other class it's in Chile for this center, center, and they like. I think they like to keep it private. So then we go to Sunday, and we're having a class on care and compassion for a group of devotees. I'm not sure if that's public or not. Then a lecture at 6 o'clock about Anarthas, clearing Anarthas out. That's actually a... I think it's at a virtual Rathiatra festival in Argentina. Okay. Hare Krishna to all of you. If you join us for Japa, we'll see you in about an hour and 27 minutes. Or the Japa starts at 10. Uh, I probably won't be there till 11. So that's an hour and 27 minutes. But it starts in 27 minutes. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Gopremanandi Hari Hari Bo Hari Hari Bo